Welcome to Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The Napa Valley Writers Conference returns this year after a couple of years off for the pandemic. And along with it, poetry remains an important part of it. And leading that effort in poetry is my guest, Major Jackson. Major Jackson is the author of five books of poetry. He's the author of essay collections. He's edited numerous volumes. He's a recipient of fellowships from the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, the Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard. He was awarded a Pushcart Prize and a Whiting Writers Award, and he serves as the poetry editor of the Harvard Review. It is my pleasure to welcome Major Jackson here. Major, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about what you have been participating in, first of all, as part of the conference here this week. Sure. This is a wonderful um, conference for emergent and, I would say, established uh, writers, particularly of poetry. It's an opportunity for participants to kind of put aside their day-to-day and concentrate on making new work. We, every morning uh, from 10 to 12, uh, workshop and give each other feedback on poems that were either written the previous day, evening, or morning. We also engage in morning lectures, and in the evening are able to hear some of the most dynamic uh, writers in America read from their poetry and their fiction. Talk about how you interact with young poets and mm-hmm. and, and you know, it, it's a whole different art form a different craft mm-hmm. than certainly fiction or nonfiction. Mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how it's different in terms of what you teach what you tell young writers mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. older writers that are just starting that's out. true that's true well what what's interesting about young writers is that they are some would argue um very close to their emotions. A lot of their poetry emerges out of kind of deeply felt experiences of being either uh, young adults. Um, uh, And some of my, how I approach giving them feedback is to affirm that impulse to be a writer, but also try to create a bar of excellence for them to, to reach for. Um, another another interesting aspect is so much of their work is, as you would imagine, about their interior. And some of my work is to kind of create that line between the fact that their words matter and their words matter within their community. So I want them to see that, um, to, to go beyond their writing as mere personal expression and to see that they have a purpose and a place as writers and I'll in our rapidly changing world, but also a world that needs to kind of pay attention to um, how they're growing and absorbing um, absorbing life around them. Right. Talk about that interior, because obviously for somebody that's 45 or older, mm-hmm. um, you know, that interior is, is leavened by a lot more life experience than perhaps some young poets mm-hmm. that, that bring a lot less experience mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, what the generally older writer, albeit, um, is bringing to the page is a wealth of experiences behind them that allows them to maybe deepen their their 
understanding of their lives, writing. I often say that writing is not merely writing what we know, but exploring what we don't know. Mm. And so in that sense, the for the older writer, there's those experiences, but writing is a way of processing it or of contextualizing it within a larger um uh, often a historical framework, right? This this morning I had a fantastic poet, probably in her mid-40s, uh, write about the Armenian uh, genocide and being a granddaughter of a grandparent who went through that. And it was such an important poem that she brought to the table. It allowed uh, others in the room, particularly the younger folk in the room, to get closer to what probably as a historical footnote, for example. Mm-hmm. Talk about the state of poetry today, <laughs> the business of poetry. <laughs> well, it's, I, I will say that it is wide, and wide in terms of potential outlets, and that has to do with the internet. I feel mm-hmm. like right. it was far more difficult to get your poems published, uh, maybe, Uh, a decade or two ago. So there's many venues right now, both electronic and print, but there's a diversity of styles being written. There are poets who are coming to the page as a form of, of confession. There are poets who look at language as a, as the same way that a painter might look at oils. Um, And then there's those of us who, come to poetry for its wisdoms and whatever music is is to be found there. And the state of poetry today is that it's always in flux. It's always changing. New people are discovering the art either as readers or there are those who encounter a friend's poetry uh, and feel like, hey, this is really important that we have this person who's marking weddings, marking losses with funerals, you know, where the poet becomes somewhat of a, um, someone who's kind of documenting our lives. Is the fact that there are so many more outlets and that it's so much easier for poets to get their work, if not published, at least out there in the world, Mm -hmm. does that contribute to more bad or mediocre poetry? (laughs) I think it was uh, the Frenchman Tocqueville who wrote about uh, America in the 18th century, and he also professed that a democracy leans more toward mediocrity. Well, it used to be, I mean, many years ago, I spent a lot of years in Hollywood, Mm. and there was always this assumption that as it became easier both to write with word processors and also to copy things, you know, and get them, you know, just sent around, that the easier it was to do that, the worse the quality was. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to admit to some degree of dross that is out there in the world. However, I will say what has happened with uh, the democratization of American poetry, i.e. the many styles and, and approaches, We've also widened our lens to to appreciate a greater width of humanity in our country. If we just kept it to great poems are about nature, uh, great poems are um, historical, um, we would be missing out on so much of what is happening on the ground with people of 
all different types of experiences. And, and as a result, our lenses, the measures by which we bring to assess whether or not a poem is merely good, excellent, one for the, for the ages, that, my friend, um, is really dependent on, I hate to say it, but education, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's dependent upon how narrow we exercise uh, our tools of critique. And you do, in addition to poetry, you write essays, and you've had mm-hmm. many of them published. Most of the people that, that you, young people that you know that are doing poetry, are they doing other kinds of writing in addition to that, or are they sort of exclusively in poetry? That's a great question. I believe most young writers are staying in one genre, but how fantastic to come across the fiction writer who's also a poet, and as a result, what we detect in their fiction or their prose is this gorgeous lyrical use of language that is very lush. Um, uh, But writers are also, in, in this day and age, need to be citizens of the art and and as a result are writing essays um blending also blending the genres between the essay and the poem which is also quite exciting which which leads me to what else i was going to ask you is what's new in the realm of poetry in mm-hmm. terms of style in terms of form etc mm-hmm. i think the 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 poems that are at least in the past decade I would say a poet, for example, like C.D. Wright, who uh, passed away um, uh, maybe five years ago, six years ago. C.D. Wright brought to American poetry, or at least amplified this impulse of the poem as, as a kind of, or at least a poetry book as a kind of document uh, that feels both journalistic but also creative. So that's been a, a very important uh, thrust in American poetry. And I think when we, when we, I want to say got rid of line breaks <laughs> and introduced prose poems, then what happened was this kind of hybrid text where you have lineated poetry, you have poetry that brings in um, uh, other kinds of forms, whether it be a crossword puzzle or a question answer, uh, a poll. We're 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 appropriating different forms, and that's been also quite uh, exciting. I don't think there. I don't. I don't think these experimentations will upend or or subvert poetry that we are used to mm-hmm. um, uh, reading, like the poetry of a Nikki Giovanni or or. Robert Frost or Billy Collins or someone like that, but uh, it gives the American reader or any reader an opportunity to see how the poem can exist on the page um, in various forms, which is our strength as Americans. <laughs> Talk a little bit about your work. What are you thinking about these days? What are you working on? I have a. I've been doing lectures and talks and writing essays for nearly twenty years. I have finally decided to collect those into a single volume of essays and notes, I'm calling it, and it comes out uh, Monday, August 1st, mm-hmm. and it's called A Beat Beyond, The Selected Prose of Major Jackson. 
I'm also pulling together five books that have published over 20 years from 2002 to 2022 into a new and selected. Uh, and hopefully that'll be published in the fall of 2023. I think it's important as a writer to have something on boiling on the uh, front burner there. The, the new collection, uh, uh, is there a theme that runs through mm. it? Are there some specific ideas that, that kind of are the overlay to, yeah. to a lot of it? I, I have one of the essays, which is the introduction to best American poetry. In that essay, I talk about as an editor, I edit poetry for the Harvard Review. As an editor, at one point, I have to confess, I was you know, somewhat bored with the material that was coming through. I didn't find it as exciting. And then I heard a admired rapper who freestyled on YouTube for about 10 minutes. And it was something about hearing him improvise a long rap that remind took me back to the roots of it. And that's what I think I might be the great theme of this of this essay collection. Uh, the rapper is Black Thought. Uh, the The essay collection wants us wants to remind the reader that the sources of our pleasure is in the music of language itself, is in the wisdom, is in the sense of play, um, how the how the poems speak to our literary inheritance our historical uh, uh, narratives and simply exist as something that um, that a reader can delight in however they choose to experience poem. Most people experience poem as a chore and I don't think that that's necessarily, I think as poets we need to be more mindful of the reader mm -hmm. and their experience. We've talked about the nexus with, with literary work. Is there a nexus in, in poetry with musical work? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I say that the impulse for most human beings, we either gravitate towards between these two polars. We want to hear a good story or we want to hear a good song or good music. And poetry does both of those things, sometimes uh, coexistent uh, together. Uh, music is still for me the backbone of a poem. There was there was a moment in which we lost it, but if you listen to any of the performance poets who are also writers, they bring that sensibility to the page. Uh, and we also still have great ballads. I mean, we still have great uh, 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 hip hop lyrics. I'm not talking about the lyrics that denigrate humanity. <laughs> I'm talking about the lyrics that uh, talk about empowerment, or even uh, even the 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 kind of intelligence that it takes to say something witty and sharp and entertaining, music is still an important source and form for a number of writers, both prose and uh, poets. You said that we we lost it for a, a little while. Talk about that. Well. There was a moment, my friend calls it the period style of the 1980s and 90s. And that was the poem that was very flat in tone, very prosaic, very uh, unadorned. In fact, if it was too adorned, then it might not 
you know, what some people call a blue jeans aesthetic. You want it to be just kind of relaxed. Um, and then performance poetry came along and made both readers and listeners mindful of poetry's oral roots. And we hear it all the time. We hear it with the with the the minister. We hear it with the with the very talent very talented uh, uh, political figures. They know the oral dimension of poetry, and can bring that to the to the to the microphone to the stage. And poets are even increasingly conscientious of that. Rhyme. Most people say, well. You know, with the absence of rhyme and meter, we've given up music. And I say, no, we've, we have other tools within the art to make music, whether that's uh, repetition or thinking about the sonics of a poem. It still can be a transference of something that speaks to the body, as my friend Robert Pinsky says. Mm -hmm. um, poems, in, poems don't just speak to the intellect or even the heart a rhythm of a poem can get inside the body. What inspires you? I am, I don't, I do not lack for inspiration. In fact, my pedagogy or when I'm teaching undergraduates or even graduate students, they should be able to walk out of their doors in the morning, afternoons, evenings, and find inspiration all around them. Um, and that is a practice of being aware and sensitive to the world through one's senses. That's where poems start for me. Unpack that a little bit. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is that if I am walking down the street and the poet that I think of most who exemplified this was the poet Gwendolyn Brooks who, Brooks, who wrote a number of poems about a four or five block radius around her street in Southside Chicago in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think she stopped publishing when she passed away, which is 2000. Um, ones, there are, there is a quality of light that exists that one could write about. There's the rhythms of the street or a rural environment that one could. There's definitely uh, certain smells that exist. I think about when I was a kid, after that first rain during the daytime, you can have that smell of, of that that issues for from the from the street. Um, there's all manner of of life around us that speaks to the senses. I had a meal last night. I won't tell you at the restaurant, but boy, it was great. It, it, that meal deserved a poem. <laughs> Everybody's excited that this conference here in Napa is back after obviously mm -hmm. you know being around for a couple of years <laughs> like everything else talk a little bit about how these few years impacted you the, the mm -hmm. past the pandemic and, and and sort of everybody turning inward for a little while yeah the the for me I, I was highly productive I know some friends particularly early on who were debilitated by mm. not being able to interact with the world around them in their usual ways, but going going inward was a was, you know, pretty much what most writers and poets mm -hmm. do on the daily. So it was business as usual, except for it was intensified by the by the big pause of the pandemic. Um, 
I think a number of writers like me, after a while, desired community. So many of us started meeting over Zoom with other writers, uh, sharing our work or uh, writing uh, together through some writing prompt or exercises. I have at least a dozen friends who will be coming out with books written over the past two years as a result of the pandemic. I think many of us were driven to be productive during this time, maybe out of boredom, very simply <laughs> that, you know. Well, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Major Jackson, thank here. you so much for uh, being here in Napa <laughs> and being part of the conference and coming to talk to us today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank I'm, you. I'm honored.